seems quiet in here with the kids gone. If you have your Bible, open them to 1 Corinthians 15 with me this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Everyone wants things to get better. Nobody wants things to change. Everybody's always talking about how things should be, but when you talk about change, everybody gets scared. Everybody gets afraid. Everybody has fears. Change is not a bad word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, how many of you know everything changes? Everything changes. We don't always recognize it and see it, but it does. Today, we're going to do things a little different. I'm going to preach a while. Rob's going to preach a while. Then we're going to both get up and talk a little bit. I'm going to tell you a story at the close, and then we're going to pray. And I'm talking today about change. Look at somebody and just say change. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning at verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep... But we shall all be changed. Changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the... I was trying to make sure that that said dead and not church. And the church, some churches are dead, right? Man, you can't be dead with the kids in here. That's great. And the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Everybody say changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immorality. immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, I like that word, therefore, he's tying this together. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's coming a day, there's coming a time when in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you are going to be changed instantly. Your mortal will put on immortality. Your body will no longer be the body that it is. It will become a body like his resurrected body. A change will happen. Now, let me say this clearly. 
Change is a part of everything we do. When we begin to talk about change, and I'm going to talk about change this morning, and hopefully you'll understand more by the end of the service, but the power of change is good. Change is not bad. It's not negative. Why are we so constantly confused by change and upset by change is because of what we believe about change. The reason we get confused is what we believe. The reason we get upset about change is because of what we believe about change. There are three myths about change that I want to talk about in the first portion of this service this morning. And the first myth is people believe it takes time to change. Look at me, listen to me. No, it doesn't. It does not take time to change. Well, Pastor, I think it does. Change happens in a heartbeat. Change happens in the snap of a finger, in the blink of an eye, in a moment. This scripture that I read to you talks about in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump of God, when the trump sounds, there's going to be an instantaneous change. Change happens instantaneously lots of times. Now, it may take time to prepare for a change. It may take time to decide to change. But true change, when it occurs, happens instantaneously. I'll talk about that more in a moment. The second myth that we have about change is that a person must want to change. We look at people all the time and say, well, you know, you'll never change until you want to change. That's really a myth. That's really not true. I can show you and prove to you that it's just not true that people have to want to change. Every one of us here, just think of yourself for a moment, you have received news or information that instantly changed you. I'll never forget when my brother called me about the death of my niece. My life and my family instantly changed in a moment. One phone call, one bit of news, and life changed instantly. All of us have received information in relationships in our careers, people have walked into a job and all of a sudden they hand you a slip and say your job no longer exists. Instantly in that moment when you receive that, things change for you never to be the same again. Things change whether you want them to or not. We try to say you got to want to change in order to change. There's been things that's happened in all of our lives that we didn't want to happen, but it happened and things changed whether we wanted to or didn't want to. It's a myth to think that you got to want to change in order to change. 
I don't necessarily want to look like I'm getting older. I want to get older. You all understand the alternative to getting older, don't you? But I can tell by how some of you are, you don't like to look like you get older. You want to look like you're staying young, right? Big difference. But you're going to get older whether you want to or not. You don't have to want to get older. You're going to get older. You don't have to want to change. You're going to change. You know, in that instant when something happens, when something transpires, a job is lost, the death of a loved one, something happens, you're driving down the road and instantly a wreck happens or something takes place in that instant, you had no want or desire to change. But in that moment, until that moment happened, you didn't even know the possibility of change was in the making or on the horizon, but it happened in an instant. Change took place. So it's a myth to think that a person must want to change. It's a myth for us to believe that it takes time to change. The third myth is that a person won't change till he hits rock bottom. I know that we've seen people change at rock bottom, and I know some people go to rock bottom to change, and I understand what's behind that, but it's a myth to think that a person won't change until he hits rock bottom. I know plenty of people that in a moment, just in an instant, in just a second, They met someone, they weren't at their bottom, but they changed. They had a conversation with somebody and they walked away from that conversation a totally different person. There was a change that took place. They weren't at the bottom, they weren't at the low point. They just had a conversation with somebody and it encouraged them to strengthen them. Maybe that conversation took them into a whole new area of thinking that they had never been in, but they walked away from that conversation being totally different. I'll never forget one conversation that I had with my dad at a Kmart in Chesapeake, Ohio, down across the, the river from Huntington, he wanted to talk to me about going to school and me called to the ministry and what I needed to do. And we went into that place and I walked in there and I had a mindset of where I was and what I ought to be doing. And he said, let's have a conversation. I walked out of that Kmart a different person. I'll never forget the conversation that my brother and I had with my dad at the grave of his mother and dad. We walked to the cemetery, the three of us, we were up there and my dad began to open up as a little boy and talk to his two sons about his childhood and how he was raised, all of the things that he went through, that his mother and daddy were never married, that he never had a home, that he was on his own by the time he was 11. His mother was a bootlegger. He had all of these things. His dad was a drunk. He talked about all of these things. And, and, and he says, the reason that I have done some of the things, and he talked to us and I understood my daddy like I never understood my daddy before. When we walked off of that hill that day, life had changed changed forever. He wasn't at rock bottom, we weren't at rock bottom, but there was a change that happened in my life, in my heart, and in my attitude. Just walking away from a conversation. I've seen TV programs that changed my attitude and my outlook about life. 
I've seen documentaries about things that have happened that instantly changed my perspective and how I looked at things. So many things that have happened. Some of you went to church. You connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a moment, in an instant, when you made a connection and you uh, invited Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life and you, you, you walked out of there and you weren't at the bottom, you weren't in the, the pit, you weren't at the lowest part, you just decided you was going to let Jesus live inside of you and live his life through you and you walked out of that church a completely different person than you were when you walked into that building. Change happens all the time. I know people who have been delivered from cigarettes instantly. I know people who have snuck and smoked for 20 years. <laughs> I've probably bought a thousand pack of cigarettes since when I was 19 to 29. Don't ask me when I started pastoring. I said 19 to 29. And smoke one and throw them away because I was addicted. They had a hold on me. But one day, I broke free. I've seen people instantly get set free from drugs, get set free from cigarettes, get set free from alcohol. I've seen people instantly get set free. Now, the thing I want to talk about today, I've talked about these three myths, and, and I want to talk specifically about two specific elements that seem to always, everybody say always. There are two elements that seem to always be in place when true change happens. Two elements. Listen carefully. I realize that always is a strong word, but when we look at the ingredients to change, and you start talking about change, when I as a pastor get up and talk about you changing, us changing, the church changing, we need to change, we need to do what God wants us to do, we, we can talk about that, but when you talk about change, everybody immediately, the one ingredient that everybody doesn't recognize that it's involved, but in change ingredient number one, everybody say number one, when you say we're going to change, everybody, everybody says What's in it for me? How is that going to affect me? What do you mean you're going to change? What do you mean we're not going to do it this way? What do you mean this is going to happen? What do you mean this is going to happen? And people say, what's in it for me? How is it going to in affect or how is it going to impact my life if this change happens? Now, I want to be clear that I say to you, we can think that that's selfish. It's not selfish. This looking at this this way is not something that's about greed. It's not about selfishness. This is just a normal desire that everybody has about self-preservation. When you talk about change, it's like kind of like this. Well, I've done it this way. And I know you want me to do it this way, but if I do it that way, how's that going to affect me? All of us deal with that. How is it going to affect me? 
So when you talk about change as a church, you know, you got to understand how's it going to affect me. If you've ever flown on an airplane, one of the things that they tell you in every flight, the flight attendant will get up and when she's given instructions about what to do, and she talks about if there's an emergency and the air masks flop down out of the roof sitting in front of you, that the first thing you're supposed to do is put the air mask on yourself before you try to help anybody else. Get it on yourself first. Even if you have small children with you, don't try to put it on the child until you get it on yourself because if you can't sustain yourself, you can't help anybody else. So when we talk about change, I'm aware that everybody here begins to talk about how's this going to affect me. If you say we're going to start doing things differently. Well, you know, if the kids come in all the time, is it going to be noisy all the time? Yeah, well, that bothers me. Well, can you get over it? Well, I just don't know. Well, you can let how it affects you become a selfish thing if you choose to. But you've got to realize that it's something that all of us must deal with. Now listen, when I think of me, when I think of how something affects me, I'm thinking of all of the people I love, I'm thinking of my family, I'm thinking of the people or the things that I'm responsible for, and we think, how's this going to impact every single one of us? What's in it for me? What's in it for the team? What's in it for my family? What's in it for my neighbors? There's nothing wrong with considering me. The second change ingredient that I want to talk briefly about is proof. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, I'm saying this morning that these two ingredients are always in change. And if, if a change happens, the first reaction that everybody is going to have is they're going to have, how does it affect me? It's, going, it's in everybody, everybody deals with it that way. What does that mean to me? And the second thing that they're looking for is proof. Somebody comes in, say your job, I want to see, I don't believe that. I heard, I heard, I heard. And we, we're looking for proof. There has to be proof in order for change to take place. Now listen carefully, if you believe one thing and the opposite of what you believe is proven to be true, you immediately change what you believe forever. Do you know how many times we believe myths? I gave you three myths to start this because I wanted you to understand that if you think that it takes time to change... We could be four, five, six years getting to make the changes that we need when we need to make the changes now. If we're going to impact another generation, if we're going to impact another future, we've got to be prepared for the future, not next week, not next month, now. How are we going to impact and bring the change if you believe it's going to take time to change. If you believe you have to get to the bottom to change. 
You don't have to get to rock bottom to change. We need to do to make some changes. We need to do some things to change. You know, when you hear something, you get something, and you find out that you believe something that wasn't true, do you want to go back to the old thing? No, not, not, if, not if what you believe wasn't true. You don't want to go back to that. But what you want is proof. Everybody say proof. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to hear me. I'm tired of opinions. We don't have news anymore. We have opinion shows. No such thing as news anymore. They don't give facts. They tell you what they want you to know, and then they give their opinion. And we sit there the whole time thinking, well, that's not my opinion, or well, that's my opinion. Jesus is going to return whether it's your opinion or not. Jesus is the Savior of the world whether you believe it or not. Jesus is alive and well whether you can talk about it or not. Doesn't really matter what your opinion is. The proof is in the reality. Here's what I know. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. If he loves the little children, I know he loves me. Yeah, I know he loves me. You may not love me. There may be times when I don't love me, but you should never doubt the proof is in the pudding. If you'll talk to Jesus, He will always tell you He loves you because He is love. That's proof. I'm going to just stop right there, Rob. I've said about all I need to say at this point. I'm going to come back in a moment and finish. Rob's going to pick up and talk to you a little bit, and then I'll come back. Thanks, Pastor. Y'all probably saw me uh, furiously taking notes because uh, every time Pastor said something, it triggered another thought in my head and things that I wanted to comment on. Um, when Stuart asked me to do this, I went to the Amplified Bible, and a lot of us in this room probably use the Amplified Bible, um, and I, I, I read in the preface what it is. It says, it's designed to amplify the text by using additional wording and a system of punctuation and other typographical features to bring out all shades of meaning present in the original texts. So I'm up here today to kind of act like a amplified teacher, to try to give um, a little bit more depth to what Pastor had talked about, to approach it kind of from a different direction. And Pastor, I apologize, but you gave your pulpit to a guy who is a philosophy major, so I, I, I might approach it from a way that's pretty different for everybody. 
If I were to retitle pastor's message this morning, I would call it Enrollment in Transformative Possibility. Enrollment in Transformative Possibility. So what I'd like to do this morning is talk about what enrollment in transformative possibility is and how it relates to pastor's vision for our church. So enrollment in transformative possibility is simply to create a possibility that so moves, touches, and inspires others that they become cause in the matter of the manifestation of that possibility. That is, they act to cause that possibility to occur. So first, I'd like to begin with possibility. We worship the God of the possible. Possibility is simply stated in occurrence that is physically present, but not yet manifest in the world. Possibility is something that is there. It's physically real. It just hasn't manifested yet. So I thought of how I would illustrate this, and pastors use this illustration a number of times. It's an apple. Now, when I first thought about this, I was going to dramatically cut the apple and take out the seeds and show you, but the truth is, my family knows not to let me use sharp objects. So I took it upon myself to cut one in half in advance and to pull out the apple seed. Y'all probably can't see this, it's so small, but the apple seed is possibility. Within this seed is a tree. Within that tree are a bunch of other apples. In all of those apples, there are additional seeds. And in those seeds lies a forest. When you see this seed, the seed is the possibility of a forest. It just needs to be manifest. When we talk about the possibility of Christ's church, when we talk about the possibility of the body of Christ, that's what we're talking about. A present reality that is yet to manifest itself. When you discuss change, what you are discussing is a present reality that's not yet manifest, a present reality that we can walk into, a purpose preordained by God that we get to choose and embrace and walk into. I believe that's really what pastor's talking about today, is that this church has a possibility which is manifest, and we need to look at how we walk into that purpose. Now, he talked about rock bottom and how people think change has to come from rock bottom. I personally think that's kind of a silly notion. The most powerful change comes from people when they're at their most powerful. Every person in this building, every one of you, is powerful beyond belief, absolutely powerful. We are made in God's image. We are his family. We're his kinfolk. We share his traits. Through our faith and our risen Savior, we have the power not only to create possibility, but to cause it to become present in the world. In Mark 9.23, Jesus tells us, all things are possible to him who believes. In Mark 11.24, therefore I tell you, all things you pray and ask for Believe that you have received them, and you will have them. 
We have the power to manifest in the world the truth that we receive from the Holy Spirit. It's in this power, the power of faith that change comes. It's not from hitting rock bottom. It's in taking the risks to live into the possible. It's in taking the risks to live into the possibility that this church is and to manifest it within the world. But change isn't always a choice. Sometimes it's thrust upon us. The church, like the body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ, was intended to be light in times of darkness. It was intended to show the world the truth and the love of Jesus and to transform their lives. We live in a fallen world that's slipping farther into the darkness. The opioid epidemic has touched everyone's lives. You know, I often appear in family court. And you know that our local family court has now taken it as a regular practice to inform grandparents of proceedings because more often than not, it is grandparents in our county that are raising kids and not parents. My gosh. We absolutely need the church to transform that, to change that, to manifest itself in a way in the world that we stop this. Because if we don't do it, no one will. Because the only one that has the power to do it is the Almighty God, and we are His manifestation on this earth. Suicide rates are rising. Lifespans for the third straight year have gotten shorter. Young people too often see the church as irrelevant. Whether we want it or not, change is upon us. Whether we want it or not, there are cultural shifts which are occurring in this nation that we need to stand up to that we need to embrace the possibility of this church and make it manifest not only in the four walls or eight walls, or I always forget how many walls there are in this building, but in our community, in our state, and in our nation. That's how God meant it to be. He made a way out through the cross. He established his church as a light in the darkness. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide us. He sent pastors to equip us in this ministry. It's our job. It's not pastors. He dwells in us. And through our faith in him, we have the power to cause immediate and life-altering change. Immediate change. Pastor talked about that. When I use the word transformative, I mean immediate and life-altering because that's what it was and that's what it is. Through Jesus, we have the power to manifest and to make present within the world the possibility inherent in every single person. We have the power to reach every person affected by the darkness, to cause immediate change in their life simply by knowing that they are loved, simply by knowing that they're important, simply by knowing that there is a way out of the darkness. When we do this, when we begin to touch people, we begin to manifest God's light within the world. And that's what we're here to do. That's the basis of change. So that's possibility. Now, what's enrollment? Enrollment is when you create a possibility such that others are moved, touched, and inspired in a way that leads them to become a cause. That means to actually do something in the manifestation of that possibility. Enrollment is at the heart of transformative change because if you yourself aren't moved, touched, and inspired, you'll never change. 
When you don't move, touch, and inspire others, you can't manifest change within the world. Do you believe that the power and love of Jesus is sufficient to save this fallen world? I do. Now, if you don't believe this, that's okay. You know, the Holy Spirit is alive in you. He's working on your heart. You'll get there. But for those of us who are there, for those of us who believe that the saving power of Jesus is sufficient for this world, it's time for us to boldly go into the world and to manifest that love. It's time for us to change, to transform how we see our faith and to begin to go on offense, to not be safe inside a sanctuary but take risks out in the world. I think when I listen to Pastor that, Pastor, that this is his vision, to move this church in a direction where it can more boldly reach out to young people. Look around you. There just aren't enough people in their 20s in this building. There's not enough people in their 30s. I love to see all those kids. I wish they were still here so we could just tell them how important they are. I love the chaos. I love to see him running around. I lo- Zeke, man, he was jamming today, brother. I mean, he, he just had it going on. That's the life of the church. That's who we need to reach. The first level of enrollment, I'm going to suggest to you there's two levels of enrollment. The first is within our church. The men, women, and children of Rama Christian Center must be moved, touched, and inspired to become, to become cause to act in reaching out to a new generation of people. The power in this building is beyond awesome. Everything we need to change our community, to change our nation, to change our state is sitting in these seats. Everything we have here is sufficient. We just need to live into it. Our church body must be enrolled in the changes necessary to reach these people. You know, sometimes change is the hardest for the most established people. Sometimes it's hardest for the leaders, for those who have been really sacrificing and serving. But, you know, it's, it's, it's those of us who do that or, or, or those who do that that have the most to give up because there's the least in it for them. But those in leadership position, those established, we need to humble ourselves. We need to embrace that change and know that God's purpose is greater than our purpose. And when we are serving God's purpose, no matter how it affects us, and we can consider it, but no matter how it affects us, it's serving God's purpose, and that's what we're all here to do. It's the established that must embrace the change. It's a test of our maturity, and we're going to meet that test, and we're going to pass it. The second level of enrollment is external to those in this room. It's to transform Rhema Christian Center in such a way that our ministries move, touch, and inspires others. We want this church to be a refuge for kids and teens growing up in tough times where they don't have parents in the home. We want a place where young mothers can gather and to gain strength from each other, where young men can learn what it's required to be true and decent fathers and husbands and brothers and mentors where people are built up and encouraged, where people who have made mistakes or don't live perfect lives can find a place that keeps no record of wrongs. I know, I, I know that if y'all knew my past completely, you'd probably be surprised I'm up here. 
That's the kind of church I want to belong to. I want to belong to a church that would take a guy like me because I know what I've done. I want a church that accepts people with my background. We must enroll our communities. We must manage our ministries in the world such that they move, touch, and inspire others. When we do that, we'll not only transform this church, we'll transform the world. I would ask you to join with me in making manifest pastor's vision for Christ's purpose for this church. In faith, you are powerful beyond belief. In faith, we can work together to move this church to a place where it accomplishes amazing things in a transformative fashion. Sit there and hold your mic. Don't leave. I need to take my cheat sheets. Okay. No. no I, I, okay. If you win, you'll be happy. If you lose, you'll be wise. Listen to me. Don't die wondering. Don't be afraid to step out and do things. We got a world that's broken, that needs help, that's hurting, that's going through a difficult time. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And some people, all they care about is being right. If you don't control your mind, somebody else will. If the church doesn't make an aggressive move to reach another generation, the devil is working. And we've got to stop everything that we're doing just for ourselves and get enrolled. Successful people have libraries. The rest have big screen TVs. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just simply trying to say every one of us need to be strong because you never know who you may be inspiring. One of the things that I know is a clear word from God that God has been speaking to me for the last few weeks and specifically spoke to me this week that we have to engage a younger generation in everything that we do here at Raymond Christian Center. That we've got to impart to another generation and give them the privilege and the opportunity when I came to pastor here, I was 27 years old. When I came to Greenbrier County, I was 27 years old. Sheila was 23. We were young. 
I thought, I, I knew a whole lot more back then than I do today. Y'all understand that. Thought I did. I want to tell you a story here, and I want you to think about another generation and doing what's right and what God would have us to do, and that's what I'm really after is doing what God would have us to do. Some of you may have heard me. I've told these two stories before, and I want to tell them again because I, I'm not sure that everybody here has heard them, but many years ago in um, the city of Chicago, Al Capone uh, wasn't famous for his heroic he was an enormous enemy of the city of Chicago and every, uh, involved in every bootlegging, murder, and all kinds of things that was going on. He uh, was involved in prostitution. But Al Capone had an attorney, a lawyer. That's why I've got Rob up here today. Named Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie. I didn't even think about that till I started this, Rob, so I apologize. Hey, I, I need a better nickname. <laughs> and he was Al Capone's lawyer for a good reason. Eddie was very good. In fact, Eddie's skill at legal maneuvering kept Al Capone out of jail for a long time. To show his appreciation, Al Capone paid him very well. Not only did he pay him big money, he got special dividends. For instance, he and his family occupied a fenced-in mansion with live-in help and all of the conveniences of that day. The estate was so large that it filled an entire city block, walled in. Easy Eddie got that from his boss, Al Capone. Eddie lived the high life of the Chicago mob and gave little consideration to God as he traveled through his life. Eddie did have one soft spot in his life, however, and that was that he had a son that he dearly loved. Eddie saw to it that his young son had clothes, cars, a good education, nothing was withheld from his son, price was never an object, and despite Eddie's involvement in organized crime, Eddie tried to teach his son right from wrong. He wanted his son to know right from wrong. He, 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 he wanted his son to be a better man than he was. Yet with all of his wealth and influence, there were two things he couldn't give his son, and he couldn't give his son a good name, and he couldn't give his son a good example. One day, Easy Eddie had a difficult decision to make, he started to reflect on all of the wrongs that he had done and he decided that he would go to the authorities and tell the truth about Al Scarface Capone, clean up his own name, take care of himself, try to reassemble his integrity because he wanted to have a son who knew that his dad had some integrity about him, and so he was going to go and tell on the mob, testify against the mob, and he knew it would cost him great, but he did testify. Within the year, Easy Eddie's life ended in a blaze of gunfire on a lonely Chicago street, but in his eyes, he had given his son the greatest gift that he had to offer, and it was the greatest price that he could pay 
The police removed from Easy Eddie's pockets a rosary, a crucifix, a religious medallion, and a poem clipped from a magazine, and the poem read this, The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time you own, live, love, toil with a will, place no faith in time, for the clock may soon be still. I want to tell you a second story. He wanted to impart something to his son, Easy Eddie did. World War II produced many heroes, and one hero that was produced from World War II was Lieutenant Commander Butch O'Hare. He was a Fowler pilot assigned to an aircraft carrier, Lexington, in the South Pacific. One day his entire squadron was sent on a mission, and after he was airborne, he looked at his fuel gauge and realized that someone had forgotten to top off his fuel tank. He would not have enough fuel to complete the mission and to get back to his ship. His flight leader, when he informed him, told him that he needed to return to the carrier, and reluctantly he dropped out of the formation and headed back to the fleet. As he was returning to the mother ship, he saw something which turned his blood cold. A squadron of Japanese aircraft was speeding its way toward the American fleet. The American fighters were gone out on a mission, and the fleet was left defenseless. He couldn't reach his squadron and bring them back in time to save the fleet, nor could he warn the fleet of the approaching danger. There was only one thing that he could do. He must somehow try to divert all of these Japanese planes that were coming at his boats, his fleet. Laying aside all fault of personal safety, he drove into the formation of the Japanese planes. Wing-mounted 50 caliber blazed as he charged in, attacked, surprised one enemy plane and then another, and Butch wove in and out of the broken formation and fired as many planes, fired at as many planes as possible until he was completely out of ammunition and all of his ammunition was gone. Undaunted by the fact that he didn't have any more ammunition, he continued the assault. He drove his plane at the other planes, trying to clip a wing or a tail in hopes of damaging the enemy so that they couldn't fly. In in exasperation of what he had done, the Japanese pilots got scared and turned and aborted their mission and flew off. Deeply relieved, Butch O'Hare... And his tattered fighter limped back to the carrier. And upon reporting, arriving to the the carrier, he reported in and related the events surrounding his return. The film from the gun camera on his plane told the tale. It showed the extent of Butch's daring attempt to protect his fleet. He had, in fact, destroyed five enemy aircraft. This took place on February the 20th, 1942, and for that action, Butch became the first Navy ace of World War II and the first naval aviator to win the Medal of Honor. A year later, Butch was killed in aerial combat at the age of 29. His hometown would not allow the memory of this World War II hero to fade, and today, O'Hare Airport in Chicago is named in tribute of this courageous man, 
Butch O'Hare. If you've ever flown to the Midwest, you've been into this airport. So the next time you find yourself in the O'Hare Airport International, give some thought to visiting Butch's memorial display, his statue, and his medal of honor. It's located between Terminals 1 and 2. What do these two stories have in common? Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. We got major issues in our community and in our world today. We've got to impact another generation. Can I tell you all, when I started in the ministry, I told you this story a couple of weeks ago, a little bit of it, but I came here to pastor and I had a dream. I wanted to do something for God. Nobody believed I could do it. Phil McLaughlin took a risk on me to build and to loan money and help. And it was, I could have never done what we've done if this man had not took a risk on me. There were other people. I would go to pastors and I would tell them my dream. And they would, they would kind of snicker and laugh and say, you know what? You, 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 you just do the best you can. You'll find out how life is. People are fickle. People are this way. People are that way. They'll be with you today. There'll be another way tomorrow. They would go through all this kind of stuff. And pastor after pastor after pastor could tell me, how they were hurt or offended or upset or got burned in ministry. I could tell you all kinds of stories myself. But I still got a dream. A dream that we can touch and impact another generation. Hey, Ben, will you come here just one second? Without violating anything, I, I want you to tell a little bit more of the story of the little boy that Mary Beth was holding today. Can you just share a little bit with what, yeah. what's the scenario? Um, it was the father and mother of the kids we have were actually uh, one of my friends in Teen Challenge. And he came back and didn't do so well. Um, and then living together the uh, mom went down with him as well and they got back into addiction and, and drug use um, they're both now in teen challenge thank the lord but uh, meanwhile their kids didn't have anywhere to be and the state was going to take them um, actually went to the place to to remove them and they somehow got a hold of us so i know it was god and in the timing and uh mary beth went the same day to go get the little rascals and brought them back and <clears throat> it's pretty wide open at our house but I know I know that it's it's God's will for our lives and uh, you know everything that's happened is, has been backed it's, there's been support from different people and, and even like going to the other day I was going to work I had a quarter tank of gas I had to get water we hauled our own water and I was like man I've only got 20 bucks how am I going to make all this happen? And then my mom stops by and, and gives me $100. And 
the same day. And I'm like, well, that's, that's how it happens. And it's, that's just one instance. There's been so many instances of, of the people in this church helping in this church and just people that, that love us. Um, and that's how God works is when we do our part to help someone else and just continue to, to show love to people. And that's, that's what we're hoping for that others will see and, and continue with it. So we got the, the mama coming back, I think, in two months and then I don't know about the father. Um, he's, uh, he's still growing. We're still praying for him. Praying for all of them. But. Thank you. <clears throat> I, I could just go around the congregation and talk about kids, people here who are involved in situations and circumstances. Ryan with Young Life, different, different things that's going on, different ones. You know, the call last night about a young boy, text, that means something to me. We have facilities. We have kids who are here all of the time with facilities that's here. And I'm saying, God, help us to know what to do to change and provide for us. You all realize what an abundance God has blessed us with as a church. And I think about a family like Ben and Mary Beth who just reach out. Just go at it. Just do what you got to do. Talia called me last night, and um, they finally got all their Bibles. There's 23 in her residential substance abuse treatment program in her pod, and they just kept asking about the message Bible because they couldn't understand King James Bible. So I bought every one of them a message Bible, and they delivered them. The chaplain wrote every one of their names in it and wrote, wrote from Pastor Farley with a message to them and handed them mail to give them to every one of those kids. When those kids hollered at me and screamed at me last night and come up, thank you for a Bible that I can understand. <clears throat> I can't take them over here to the school. You can give them to them in jail. God help us to do what it takes. I want to hear from young people in this community, in this church, who are willing to step out and do something. Rob, you got anything else you want to say with what I'm saying? You, you, you don't have to go, Pastor, because I'll keep it real short. Don't ever discount the power of the children of this church to do the outreach that sometimes we're reluctant to do. You know, from time to time, Maya's been bringing one of her little buddies on Wednesday nights. And this young man, is his family is not churched. His only experience and exposure to church has been this church. The other night I was driving him home and he asked me, how much does it cost to go here? <laughs> he was so amazed with 
the programs. He hang out. He hangs out with Zoe Drama every now and then, and 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 he sees what's going on. We need to have that same childlike joy in what we do that we can reach out and that we can bring people into it. You know, I I love the people in this church. You know, we had all of us had dinner last night. It was an awesome experience. When you surround yourself with godly people and then you use boldness and use that boldness to go out into the world, change happens and we can all do it. Amen. Steve. Thank you. Steve. Steve. Come on. You know, the crazy thing is we think it's really hard that this is something that is going to wreck us and tear us down. My four-year-old is in preschool, four, and we ask him how things going. He said, doing well, but there's this one kid that she's mean. She's a bully. And I'm like, okay, what happened? And well, if you haven't noticed, he has albinism and he's a little different. You know, he, um, you know, asking questions, why do your eyes move, those kind of things. And we're working on responses and that kind of thing. Well, you know, she, it kept going, kept going, and we finally asked Brack a question. He said, what should you do? And he stopped, and he said, pray for her. And so we did, and a few weeks later, we asked, how's it going? He said, really good. I told her about Jesus. And we asked, how is it going? Good. She's my friend. So, four, spreading the gospel to someone who may have never received it. So, we don't have to change our life. We have to open our lives. We have to take these small steps and make ourselves available to those that are around us. Because the world is around us. We are out there every day. Open our eyes. Ask God to give us the vision that he sees, the potential in those around us, and share his grace and love. It's that easy. I want to ask everybody 45 years of age or younger to come and stand up front right now. Everybody 45 years of age and younger. Come on, just come get in tight so everybody, I want everybody up here. Russ Siegel, aren't you 30 years old? You guys are what connect all of us to those kids that were here a while ago. You are connectors. Now, you got to understand what a connector does. When I wrote the book Melchizedek Key, I wanted to call it Covenant Connector 
because I realize that when you pay your tithes, that is a connection between you and God that is a act that you do with God that nobody else has anything to do with it's you and God and that connects you to the blessings that he has for you it's not any other thing but a connector to God I learned that when I was in Haiti all those Haitian pastors had cell phones and when I would come in to do the morning pastors conference they didn't they were sleeping in a tent outside and in the church under every window was a receptacle and they had about 15 phones in every one of those receptacles every phone was plugged in because they had to connect it to something that would bring the power for their phone to be useful you guys can connect to another generation that's difficult for some of us to do you can impart to a ch child or a young person things and, 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 and you, there, there's just so much more you have to offer in that connection. And I really, 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 really want you all to step up and I want to hear from you. I want to hear your criticism. I want to hear what you got to say. I want to hear what you think will work. I want to be willing to try things. And you know what I promise you? We may not do everything, we may not do it right, we may not get everything, but I'm going to tell you something. Don't ever let anybody, you can't do anything God tells you to do to do it, because it, it can happen. And we need you. Church, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand and help me right now and pray for everybody that's standing here for me. Would you do this with me? Rob, I want you to lead the prayer with this and pray over this group right now. Will you do that? Just lead the prayer and pray for us. Holy Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you and to hear your word and to learn, to have you touch our hearts, to have you move our minds into conformity with you. We ask you, Lord, that as a church that we're moved to do your will, that we're touched by your love for the people around us, that we're inspired by your grace. We thank you, Lord, for each of the young people. I'm 53, I can say that. Each of the young people standing in front of us. We thank you for the way that they can serve as a bridge, a bridge to a new generation, a bridge that will allow safe passage to you, allow safe passage to your embrace, allow a welcome into the family of God. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that these people present the opportunity to save lives and to change our culture and to change our world. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus. We thank you for being a light to us so that we can go out and be a light to others. We thank you, Lord, for pastor to equip us to do the ministry. And we thank you for placing it on our hearts, the knowledge that it's our ministry to do. And we ask you, Lord, for the power to go out boldly into the world and to make a difference. And we ask, Lord, that you bless these bridge makers. You bless these connectors. You give them the power and you give them the boldness that we know is in them. That you buttress them by faith. And that you give them the grace to fail. Because we will sometimes. We thank you. We will always thank you. And we'll continue to thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me say one thing.
when you and I were talking about enrollment this week, if I were enrolling every one of these in the Rama Christian Center, what does that mean? When they say, this is my church, what makes it my church? The thing that makes it your church is when you claim it, when you become involved, when you serve. It's not your church when you're a passive observer. You're not enrolled when you're a passive observer. You're enrolled when you choose to serve. You're enrolled when you make the difference in the lives of the people in this building and the people in your community. That's enrollment. Pastor talked about proof. You know what the proof is? You know what the proof of the possibility of this church is? It's in every one of you serving. It's in every one of you making a difference. That's the proof. And that's how we know the possibility will be manifest. Let's prove God. Amen? Let's prove Him. I love you. I love you. I appreciate you being here. If you need prayer for anything, if you need saved, the altar's open. We'll pray with you. Where do my prayer teams go? They just go sit down. Y'all are hiding somewhere. Get back up here, all right? If y'all need prayer for anything. And will y'all do me a favor? Smile at the old people as you leave, will you? Be nice to them. Be nice to them.